I wanted to jump really quickly into life insurance. And we had this conversation prior to this interview. Um, there's a lot about life insurance I didn't know, and you put me on. There's so many different things you can do. First of all, we talked about you're paying into life insurance at your job. Once you leave, that's it. All the money that you invested while you were at that job, gone. Can you please explain to the audience about the different benefits we can get from purchasing outside life insurance and some of the perks of that just in case we get hurt or whatever. Can you just dive a little deeper into that? Like the great things that we can do if we can just put a little money on the side and purchase an addition, additional coverage. So um, look, uh, you, you're right. That's a huge subject, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet hugely important. Uh, and I will say at a high level, look, there are statistics from Limera that show that, you know, African-American families, you know, are, are more inclined to buy life insurance than many other demographics, right? Mm -hmm. So we have the inclination. Right. Why we buy it for is different, however, than other, yeah. dramatically different, statistically different than other demographics, right? Yep. So, you know, African-Americans predominantly associate the purchase of life insurance with the payment of their final affairs. Yes. Right? Their funeral, et cetera, exactly. right? Exactly. And I'm, I'm here today with <laughs> something else that you don't take besides creating a revocable living trust for your estate. If there's something else you don't remember from that, from what else I ever say today is there are lots of other people in the U.S. who use life insurance for a whole lot of different things, yes. right? For many other people who don't necessarily look like us, life insurance like other types of financial products are an asset class to them. Mm -hmm. And the asset class is merged or meshed with a plan put in place with their other assets. Uh, and in many respects, they leverage life insurance to reduce uh, so that their, let's just say, so that their estates or that their financial plans are more tax efficient Mm -hmm. uh, and they use it to enrich the next generation, right? right. There's, are, there are authors that say that the greatest difference in um, income potential from one generation to the next among the demographics is not education, but in fact, it's the transfer of wealth, yes. right? So, right. <laughs> so I'm not diminishing the importance of education because it is very, very important. Mm -hmm. However, the biggest difference between the haves and the have-nots, at least in this country goes, it often has pertained to who inherited the wealth versus who did, right? Mm -hmm. It's the transfer yep. of wealth that really drove the difference in terms of, you know, the economic status difference between demographics. That being said, life insurance can be very useful for, uh, for the simple fact that it's one of the few asset vehicles in the U.S., maybe the only one, uh, that grows tax-deferred uh, and that you can take out, take money from it tax-free, right? We're, and we're talking about permanent life insurance right now. Term is an entirely different, right. right? So there's term insurance and there's permanent, right? So the permanent life insurance is an asset class used by, frankly, many of our clients where they maybe use that cash growth in their permanent policies to offset some maybe some tax burden they have 
in some other capacity, whether it's from another retirement account, maybe it's their total estate tax obligation, uh, maybe it's, it's just creating an income stream for them that they can use down the line that they can tap into tax-free and grow a tax-deferred, right? I mean, a Roth IRA works very much the same way, except, you know, statutorily, there are, um, there are limitations on how much you can fund a Roth IRA, mm-hmm, whereas with right. life insurance, you can make the policy, as long as you can design it properly, you can make the policy as big as you want, right? Um, and, and that's really cool, right? I mean, yeah. the other piece of this too is that, you know, you know, a lot of folks say life, they get the benefits of life insurance, when it's permanent life insurance. And then they're like, well, the only challenge here is just paying for it. Yeah. And that was my next question. Is it very expensive to get that? Yeah. Well, it, it depends on the age in which you get it, right? Obviously, the earlier you get it, uh, the cheaper it is, generally speaking. The healthier you are, the cheaper it is, generally mm-hmm. speaking. But, you know, again, remember, um, it's, it's a contract between you and, a, and the insurer. So, you know, as long as the insurer gets their money, they don't care. So if there's three of you paying into a single policy, they don't care, right? If, you know, if, right. as long as the insurer is alive and they'll associate a death benefit with based on the plan that you've put in place. Uh, and as long as they get their checks every month, it works out, right? Sometimes you can grow cash value in the life insurance policy to such an extent uh, that even if you don't make the premiums every month, the policy will stay will remain in effect uh, because the, the the carrier will just take the premiums from the cash value accrued in the policy. Not necessarily an advisable strategy, but just to say that you know if you pay into it enough, it could really be an asset that sustains itself. The other piece is is that you can design life insurance policies today so that you don't pay into them forever. Right. So a lot of people in this space now, uh, you know, use these paid up policies where you pay into it for 10 years or 20 years and then you're done. I was not aware of that. I thought like once you get like when you get permanent, it's like you pay you're paying for it until you die. That's what I thought. So so absolutely not true. Right. You can design a policy that let's say you pay into it. Let's say you're you know, you're. 50 years old or you're 20, you know, 45 years old and you Mm -hmm. want to pay the policy for the next 20 years and then you're done. You can design it so that you're paid up in 20 years. The cash value within that policy will continue to grow um, based on whatever interest or dividends are credited to the policy, depending on the type of policy that you get. Uh, And, and, you know, it, it will be there for your use. Right. A lot of people in our space, a lot of clients that we work with use it also, too, because it's it's kind of like what they call a fixed income asset. It, it has it has a certain level of stability mm-hmm. right, and, and security that a lot of other, you know, market based stock type of securities. Those types of assets have sometimes have a lot of volatility. There are very many types of life insurance products that have less volatility they might have a lower rate of potential interest to be gained, but they, you know, but they're stable, right? And so a lot yeah. of folks like to include that in their portfolio of assets because it's like a stable tax-free source of income uh, that they could use down the line. And then obviously there's a death benefit to it so that it can service, you know, future generation or charity. Wait a minute. <laughs> so life insurance 
it's something that can go into your financial portfolio. I never knew that. I thought it, portfolio was just IRA, 401k, stocks, that's it. That's what oh, I thought. It's, it's, you have to, so the, the folks that don't look like us consider <laughs> it an asset plan. When there are a lot of books too, like for instance, in, in, you know, you, you go to your Barnes and Noble run and you start trying to plan your retirement. You might want to be curious and you get some books out there. There's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of books that talk about your LERP, right? Right. What is a LERP, right? It's, it's your life insurance retirement plan, right? It's, it's very often used along with other assets to complement your total asset portfolio. Right. There are many clients, for instance, that we have who have 401ks uh, through their jobs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they're ready to retire, however, uh, the 401k will be there for them for their retirement. Yes, true. But when they take distributions from that 401k, they're going to have to pay taxes. Right. Yes. So, so uh, <laughs> you know, and what the tax rate will be in 15 years from now, I, you know, I'm not Nostradamus. I don't know. You know one could right. argue, yeah. though, that based on the trend, they'll be higher than what they are now. Right. Possibly, yeah. maybe even likely. But the you know, so this is why folks sometimes use life insurance uh, as a way of maybe having another pocket of money or creating another pocket of tax free money that they can use to pay for that future tax exposure that they're getting from their primary retirement asset. You know, um, there are, look, there are, you know, the, the, the IRS raised the, the, your, your 401k contribution now to around 20,000, you know, 20,500 bucks or something. I think you can max it out now. Right. Mm -hmm. There are, there are other life insurance plans that allow you to, um, finance your life insurance plan. So let's just say you want a policy this big, but only have amount this amount of money. Well, you can put in this amount of money and then finance the rest so that you can get this bigger policy. And then you can use the cash value in the policy to pay back the loan that you got to get the bigger policy, right? The same way for a home. Yes, <laughs> right. They, they call it premium financing. Uh, it's used That's by- insane. I've never heard of- I've never heard yes. of this stuff. Yes, never. there are there are literally ways of using a life insurance policy as essentially your collateral to getting a loan to get an even bigger policy, right? Or to pay for the cost of a bigger policy. There is a premium finance method uh, enabled right now by a company called NIW. They call mm-hmm. it Kaizen Premium Financing. It's also available at Axel Family Advisors, right? We, I can tell you all about it offline. And, and it's a way where you can maybe, uh, you know, in, get a permanent policy with significant cash growth, maybe, um, you know, increase your cash retirement reserves by maybe up to 60% in some cases, uh, so that you can, you know, catch up maybe on retirement savings that you are realizing that you'll be short of based on the stagnant growth of your 401k currently at your job, right? I mean, so, but these conversations to me are all part of estate planning. Uh, And these conversations are, uh, involve information that oftentimes we don't receive, right? They're not necessarily even marketed on TV. 
Or if you're not working in the industry, how are you supposed to know about it? And I will add that, you know, going to your estate planning attorney, they may be help you to form your revocable living trust. They'll help you draft it, but they may not know about other financial products out there in the industry that you can use in conjunction with your estate plan that they just drafted for you so that you could really max out the assets in your, the value of the assets in your estate, right? I mean, so wow. this is why it's important to talk to both. So when I remember at the beginning of the conversation, I said, you got to have the legal piece, but you got to have the financial piece. They really okay. do work together much more than what we realize. And so that way your estate plan and your available assets can be and should be in place to do more than just pay for your funeral. Right? I feel like I'm so far behind. I feel like being, uh, I'm 52. I feel like I'm just way like 20 years too late planning this stuff out. Is it too late for me? Like someone no, in their fifties? It's not, it's not. Uh, you know, unlike other assets, right? Um, you can still get life insurance can still be pretty affordable, right? Even at your age, right? Mm -hmm. By the way, you look terrific for your age. Oh, I, I would never, you. I would have never guessed that, right? But that's just, yeah. that's just an aside. <laughs> uh, you know, so it, 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 uh, and look, when it comes to term policy, which is kind of like a, like a lease, for instance, the mm -hmm. statistics show that most people don't even finish pay the term policy. So if you have a 20 year term policy, most stats show that most people don't make it to 20 years, right? Right. Um, but there are other policies that you can get that have a higher persistency rate. And if you just, if, 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 you're, if you're really thinking about your personal affairs comprehensively and you're understanding why I got this product to go with this product, or I created my estate plan this way so that my assets can go to this person and that person, in a, in, a, in a very tax efficient way, then you might be in a position or at least have the intention of making sure that these things are in place and, and remain in place while you're alive. The challenge is, is that we, we, we get these things piecemeal or we're presented these things in a piecemeal fashion. We'll meet the, just the hungry insurance agent on the street who's just trying to write us a product real quick Right. right. And, and, and not necessarily thinking about how it fits into the larger picture of me. Right. right. I mean, there are lots of, you know, financial gurus on the net that say, look, you know, just buy term and, and invest the difference. And, you know, that, yeah. that might be a strategy that might work with your specific portfolio of assets. Right. It shouldn't be a standing rule for everyone. I think it's a very fact intensive question per person. But if you're not asking those questions, then then you're just kind of not even playing in the game at all. Right. Uh, this is this is a lot. You you are really putting your girl on right now. When they talk about life insurance, I must stress there are life insurance products today, term and permanent, that come with a lot of what they call living benefits. Mm -hmm. Right. That means that you can tap into the death benefit of the policy, the money part of the policy, without being dead or close to dead, right? Yeah. I think if you you need to get yourself one of those, right? Whether it's term, whether it's permanent, that's important because it can be very useful for the family that goes through some unfortunate or ominous event to know that there's a bucket of cash that I can tap into 
in the event I get critically injured, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not dead, I'm not going to die tomorrow. I don't have some stage four cancer, right? I just can't perform two out of six living functions, right? Or, you know, I'm, I, I got into a motorcycle accident and I've got serious head trauma. I'm not dead. So generally speaking, my policy won't pay me. But right. if I do have a policy that pays me and I get disability on top of that, now, you know, now I can sustain my livelihood, right? And so, or, or the livelihood of the person I was taking care of. And so if you do not, you need to compare living benefits between what you have and what you could have, right? And I think yeah. that's also very important. And it's, it's, there's, there are carriers out there that really do well in the living benefits space. One of them is, I'm not here to endorse carriers, but one of them is, mm-hmm. I can readily say, because they're just well-known in the industry for it, is National Life Group. Their, their, um, their policies are well-known for having living benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something that I rec- strongly recommend. I mean, it's a very strong policy in that regard. They're well-known for that. Uh, and it's also something you can get at Axial Family Advisors. <laughs> right. Right. Circling back to like um, we spoke about um, financial, say 401k IRAs. Are there any benefits that the beneficiary can claim from a deceased person's retirement plan? Like say someone's married and their spouse dies and they have um, um some some extra benefits can what can the what can a beneficiary get from that person's 401k per se or other retirement fund so i look this is part of the estate planning piece of this right if you have a 401k at your job you should make sure i mean most of those contracts require anyway that you identify a beneficiary mm-hmm. right or beneficiaries right maybe it's your spouse maybe it's your child maybe it's someone else but if we do that, we don't necessarily need a will. I want this amount to go to my son and I yep. want 30% to go to my daughter. Yep. Is a will still so, necessary? Because people can contest wills. So so you're, you're hitting it right on the head. When you're talking about life insurance contracts mm-hmm. and often retirement accounts, those are contracts that by design, because they are contractual in nature, mm-hmm. bypass probate, right? So um, even if it's not identified in the will, mm-hmm. if there's a beneficiary identified in that contract, the contract will circumvent probate process and go to said person. But here's the catch. Let's say you have a life insurance policy or 401k and you identified your daughter and your son as beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. But let's say that they're both minors. Is your mm-hmm. life insurance policy going to pay your $500,000 million dollar death benefit to your minor child directly who doesn't even have a bank account yet? No, they're not. No, they're not, right? And if you in your estate plan did not identify a guardian to whom will serve as you or for you, <laughs> For your minor child, in yeah. the event an ominous event happens to you, what happens? It becomes messy and everyone starts fighting over the child, pretending like they have so much love for said right. child. Right. And now you've got a court trying to appoint a, a you know, a guardian ad litem or, you know, or some other person to serve in that paternal capacity 
right. to be battled by other people who said, hey, I was I was the child's second mama. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So this is why your estate plan matters. And when what we do often for clients is we will have, you know, who have retirement accounts or maybe they have special needs kids. Right. So this is why the trust piece comes into play, because in your trust, you can you can identify the trustee who can manage your trust assets or your actual assets. And then you can also identify a guardian and you can even identify a financial advisor. And then, you know, so when in fact an ominous event happens to you, the assets then get paid into the trust. And then the trustee will, will work with the guardian that was identified in the trust mm-hmm. to commit assets to the guardian for purposes of benefiting the children, the minor children, right? Uh, or maybe the trust will will rely on the financial advisor identified in, I'm sorry, the trustee will rely on that financial advisor identified in the trust to continue to grow the assets in a way that works to the benefit of the beneficiaries, if, particularly if they're minor children or if they're a special needs child, same way, right? Maybe, you know, the, you, you've created a, a, a special needs trust that, that those retirement assets can continue to fund for the benefit of the minor child, right? But see, this right. these, these things all come into play, and this is why will is not enough. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, right. And so, so that that's kind of, you know, it, when you have your revocable living trust in place, and then you start redirecting your assets to go in that direction. You've appointed a trustee. You've appointed a guardian. Maybe you've appointed financial advisor. You've got the pour over will. You've got your living will or your healthcare proxy, something that someone to make decisions for you in the event that you're not dead, but incapacitated. That way your your affairs remain in as orderly fashion as possible because you're not there necessarily to command the ship. I do have two um, additional questions that came in from the audience. And of course, again, this is anonymous because they're in it right now. So they want to stay anonymous. So the first question it's actually, it's maybe it's like a, um, it's like a multi-part question. Right. My parent passed away recently and they did not leave a will. They left behind a house with its contents, their car and bills. One sibling took the, took on the role as the executor. What happens if one sibling wants to sell and the other one doesn't? The sibling that wants to keep the house doesn't have the credit to put the house in their name. What do you suggest for an amicable agreement between the siblings? I mean, this is a difficult situation, right? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, um, this, the beneficiaries, right? The siblings, essentially, mm-hmm. they've got to come to an agreement on whether to keep the house or sell it, right? Or, right. or you know, maybe one of the beneficiaries is in better position to get a mortgage to purchase the house from the estate uh, rather than just leaving the estate forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to come to a consensus because if they don't come to a consensus about whether they keep it or sell it, they, they may be, and I, I put you know an asterisk there, they may be in a scenario where the probate court might force them to sell the property because they collectively cannot reach a unanimous decision mm. about how that asset is to be handled, right? And so you hate to have some third party come in and make 
decisions on family assets, right? In reality, that happens more times than what we would like, right? So Mm -hmm. I think in that scenario, you've got to come to a consensus. And look, maybe maybe the scenario is that someone takes on a mortgage. So maybe someone who's more qualified to get a mortgage to buy the house from the estate, you know, uh, you know, buys the buys the house and and then puts the other two siblings on the deed that way they all have some ownership interest on it and then you know the person who can actually get the mortgage um um you know can maintain you know the, the mortgage payments and uh along with the others contributing right mm-hmm. but understand too there's there are also issues of proportionality when it comes to distribution of state a- of estate assets right so the beneficiary who paid the most in terms of administration of an estate, whether it's because they paid the legal fees or they paid the taxes or they paid the accreditors, you know, they obviously have greater standing than the other beneficiaries to make sure that they're properly reimbursed from mm. the estate for the expenses that they incurred, right? right. So there, there is design, some equity principles that are usually put in place when it comes to the administrations of states. Uh, but in, in that scenario, they've, you know, they've, they've got to hash it out. You know, maybe they, they, they do a little majority vote rule in their household, you know, the two right. out of three of them. Say, what if hey, it's look. just, what if it's just two of them though? Yeah. If, if the two can't reach a decision, they, they, they run the risk of, of, of someone making it for them. Can right? one buy the other one out? Like the one who's doesn't have the great credit standing to put the mortgage in their name is actually taking care of most of the bills per se. Would that person stand a better chance? Like you said, if they, just because they're paying the bulk of the expenses for the estate or. Well, I mean, look, uh, if, if, if the, um, if there are two of them and one person's kind of paying the bills and the other one's not paying the bills, but has the capacity to take on a mortgage, take on the home. You know, maybe that's the deal that they make. They say, look, I'll take on the mortgage, you pay the bills. And when we sell it, we'll reimburse ourselves proportionate to what we we expended individually on the house. Right. So if right. I you know, if one person ended up technically spending 60 percent more than the other person and then they split the proceeds 60, 40. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, that 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 is, you know, um, um, or, you know, maybe the estate sells the property and then the person who was paying the bills um you know gets a little bit more of the sale proceeds because they were paying the bills uh and the person gets the uh the other person gets you know their respective share sans the bill payments that the other sibling made right mm-hmm. um you know it it it, it um uh, you know at the end of the day there, there's you know a couple ways of reconciling this but i think the overall caveat is, is they got to be on the same page to do it Otherwise, they run the risk of someone else making that decision for them. Mm, Yeah, I don't think they want that. And then another question came in. What is the procedure and timeline for probate? We might have covered this already. What is the procedure and timeline for probate court? And can you go deeper into why it's a good idea not to go into probate court at all? But I think you might have already touched on this question. My fundamental belief is if you can avoid probate, avoid it. (laughs) Right. Create your revocable living trust, put the assets that are essential to your family in that trust so Mm -hmm. that you can avoid probate altogether. 
And if you want to know where you can do that, you can go to Axial Family Advisors. We'll help <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we, we'll help you put the whole thing together. Oh, my God. Um, if, um, what was the part B of your question? What is the, t- if they do decide to oh, take it to court, is, oh, what's the timeline? Like, how long is it going to take them to go and through so that? that? I want to say like a year, but I could be wrong. I'm not a lawyer. I think, I think you, you, I think just estimating a year is a very fair estimate, right? Because mm-hmm. there are states, for instance, in the state of New York, you know, the, the probate, Proceed, proceedings, the estate attorneys, they're required to keep the estate open for seven months, just okay. by statute, right? You right. know, and, and every state kind of has its like, you know, period of requisite period for keeping the estate open for purposes of managing estate affairs, mm-hmm. right? If that period has to be extended, you know, folks make the application and get it extended. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's all said and done, then you submit other documents to the court saying that the estate management is all said and done, right? But in any mm-hmm. event, uh, I, I think... You know, I think a year um, is 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 a is 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 a very fair number, right? Right. You know, you know, I think you could just say you can expect a year or more. I mean, obviously, what also is relevant is the size of the estate, right? Um, mm-hmm. The size of the estate and what type of assets are in it. Um, but generally speaking, if you told somebody a year, I don't think you know you you would be you know talking way out of turn. Okay, and just to summarize everything this awesome show. I've learned so much that I've never learned in school that I could not learn from school. What is the most important thing we should be doing to make sure our future generations are taken care of? Like in a nutshell. I mean, look, I I think it starts with the intention. Honestly, you've got to think you've got to, you've got to, you've got to want it. You've got to intend that the people around you, whether it be your, your siblings, your kids, you want the best for them, right? No, most people right. don't dispute that they want the best case scenario for their kids. And then you kind of have to concede that we're all human, right? And so with, with, you know, with being human comes the possibility of mortality and there comes the inevitability of our fallibility. So we can get hurt, we can make mistakes, accidents happen, unforeseen occurrences occur, right? But if you're committed and you have the intention on giving the most that you can uh, to your next of kin and protecting your assets as best as you can, mm-hmm. I think that's the starting point. And if you have that starting point, you can get to a price point right? That will help you meet that goal, right? And I agree that this stuff can be costly, some of the stuff that we're talking about, right? But there are places you can go, for instance, (laughs) axialfamilyadvisors.com, where where you can create, you know, you can design your financial plan and your estate plan, and it can cost you in totality, maybe 2,500 bucks, right? A month, not a month though, right? No, in totality, in totality. Right? That's it? Only 2500 Look, I'm like, only 2500 you, you can get it all done for, for wow. 2500 bucks, right? And and you can feel a lot better in terms of now you've put something or some things in place that are intended to serve in the best interest of you and the people that you care for the most, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I think, I think that's, that's, that's very powerful. Um, but it, it starts with the intention. And sometimes, 
you know, like most people have that intention. We all, you know, folks want the best for their kids, but you have to also take into account that lining up your estate plan and talking with the legal folks or talking with the financial folks aligns with that intention, right? It's not just a matter of going to work and making sure that your kids meet the grade. It's, it's, it's yeah. taking care of you in the event that you can't take care of you or in the event that you're not around to take care of you or in the event you're not around to take care of them, right? And so you form that intention. You think about the significance of legacy. And this is something that you can get done in your house today, right? I mean, there are legislative things, political things, institutional things that have inevitably served as impediment to the African-American welfare and status in the U.S. without getting too deep into any of that stuff. Right. There are those there are and for certain policy changes to happen so that some of these institutional economic structures can enable our communities. It requires a significant policy shift. Some of that we may see in our lifetime, some of it maybe not. But this this we can do today. Right. Right. We do not need a new law or a new president or a new mayor or a new councilman to create your estate plan at home for you and your family. This gap we can close in our household on our own, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe with the help of some professionals, but it can be done, right? We don't right. have to wait for the next voting cycle or the next election cycle to make this happen. This can be done in our households. This is what we got to take care of today, right now. Right, uh, I, and, I and that <laughs> that. That I feel like is, is frankly, it's empowering, right? Because yeah. there are a lot of things that are beyond our control. But this, this is very much in our control, regardless of our asset class, regardless of our net worth. It's significantly important. And it's something we can do literally today. We can take it into our own hands. Take it into our own hands. That's right. This wraps up this um, episode. I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And you are part of my Black History Month series. So I appreciate you coming on. And I want to know, and the audience wants to know, how can they get in contact with you? (laughs) Great question. (laughs) You, uh, You can reach me at www.axilfamilyadvisor.com A-X-I-A-L familyadvisorsplural.com Get me there. Go to, there's a button there that says your team. You click on your team and you'll find me right there. Um, you can reach me at Audwin at A-U-D-W-I-N at axilfamilyadvisors.com You can find me there too. Um, that's my direct email address. You can also find me at www.assetprotectionpros.com. It's also uh, another company and site that, that we use to create estate plans for individuals, regardless of your, your asset level. I don't care if you've got $2 or $2 million. I think, I, I think it's critically important to get it done. And you can find me there at www.assetprotectionpros.com. Either way, you know, we, we um, Axial is a Black-owned company. We are serious about servicing our community. Uh, We are very serious about this issue of estate planning. 
uh, and it doesn't cost you anything to have a conversation with us about how you can take care of your family. That That's absolutely at no cost. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I will be dropping all of the links that you gave. I will be dropping that in the description box. So it'll be very easy for our audience to find. So thanks again so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Sharon. I really appreciate it. If this is your first time joining, welcome to Vintage Dialogue Radio, and thank you for listening. And if you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss a thing. What topics do you want to talk about in the future? I'm sure you have plenty of questions for my guests. So don't forget to drop a comment, ask a question, and leave a review. You never know, I could actually call upon you to be a special guest on my show. All of the information about this episode is in the description box, along with an email and links to my blog, website, and more. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.